Welcome to the 85th episode of Daily Cup, a podcast between two friends about the latest in society, politics, and feminism in Indonesia and the world. I'm Stephanie Tonkevitsen. And I'm Suidian Lee. This week, we're going to be talking about the novel coronavirus. It's in the back of a lot of people's minds, I'm sure, especially if you're in this part of the world, in Asia. And we just want to talk a little bit about it, summarize what's the situation right now, but also take a step back and uh, see the situation from a more global uh, socio-economic perspective and talk about how the coronavirus is impacting potential cases of xenophobia, of racism, and fostering dangerous sentiments uh, between not only various nationalities and various populations, but also within local populations as well. Note that we are not medical professionals, but we did research into this and are going to be citing more authoritative sources. We're going to say according to the WHO a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so take all of what we're saying with a grain of salt. We're just trying to you know, talk about a topic that everybody's been thinking about in the back of their minds uh, and do the classic dialogica deep dive into it. So here's to it. So, what is the coronavirus? For people who have been living under a rock, the coronavirus is the latest of a respiratory illness um, that has impacted at first China, but now has spread all over the world, and in particular, um, parts of Asia. And there's there's been a widespread reaction from various governments and various communities about the outbreak because it's escalated from what was supposedly a local outbreak in the city of Wuhan in China. To the situation right now where you've got over 24,000 confirmed cases in China alone and over 450 fatalities globally. Mm-hmm. So we want to talk a little bit about the coronavirus and what it is, you know, how it spread and just break it down a little bit because it might seem like a scary topic. It certainly isn't a small issue, but it might not be as scary as some people make of it. Yeah, we should also say that we are talking about this on February 4th, 2020. So what do we know so far about the coronavirus and how it started? So to first start off, the coronavirus is actually not the proper name. Apparently, I just read this on BBC today as we were recording. Right. They're going to come up with a real name for it later because they've been like, let's just treat this and then we'll come up with a real name. Uh, but the coronavirus... Because yeah, there has been various strain of a coronaviruses. Exactly. So it's like a general name for a virus type. Yeah, it's not really a helpful name because it's more of a family of viruses. Yeah. So over the next few days, they'll come up with a name for it. But the coronavirus is basically a disease that is of the same family as SARS and MERS, which are both um, regionally based geographical respiratory illnesses from the past few years that you might have heard of. You know, I remember when we were both when we were both in Indonesia, like SARS was a huge thing that happened um, yeah. in China as well. And this is something similar to it. Uh, it basically attacks your respiratory system. So it induces fever. There's uh, breathing difficulties, coughs, and things like that. Pneumonia. Mm-hmm. It can escalate into pneumonia and then organ failure and even death. Uh-huh. So what it does is 
Honestly, a lot like what most common colds and flus do, which is attack you when you're already weak, and then it's up to your immune system to fend it off because it's a virus, so antibodies, antibiotics are no use. Right, so just a primer <laughs> back to biology class. Like a virus is something that your antibodies need to fight off and like you can't really do much about it. Whereas like bacterial illnesses, you can take antibiotics specific to that bacteria, which will hopefully kill the bacteria related to that. That's why like, you know, when you're having the flu, like you're supposed to stay hydrated, yeah. you're supposed to rest and all of that stuff. You can't really like... You're not advised to take antibiotics or any or any kind of other medication. Mike, um, my, my mom was super stalwart about like not giving me any unnecessary medicine because it don't work. Um, so, like most of the people who have died from the coronavirus are the elderly. Essentially, it's not otherwise healthy. And yeah, for the most part, it's been people who have pre-existing conditions, right? Yeah, who are already in a hospital for issues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is why, you know, when we're talking about the coronavirus, it's a virus. This is why you'll see in a lot of the reports there, especially when you're talking about quarantining people, they're saying like quarantine them for uh, 14 days or two weeks. That's the usual lifespan of a virus. That's that's why it's like there's not much you can do to fend off a virus. It's either you just fight off the symptoms or you get vaccinated beforehand. Yeah. That's why in America, uh, where it's also flu season right now, Everybody talks about getting a flu shot vaccination because that's the best course of action to fight off the flu. Once you get it, you're like, well, you're just going to be bedridden for two weeks. And, and I mean, the, the whole purpose of the flu shot is so even if you're young and able-bodied, like you're not, even if you get it, you're not going to transmit it to other people. It's part of the whole herd immunity thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really important um to get your flu shots if you're in the u.s it's always generally free (laughs) um especially now with the whole coronavirus thing i think that's just brought into greater attention that you should get yourself checked if you are ever feeling a little bit sick or whatever and not just write it off right um but like one more thing the whole 14 day thing i think is crucial in this case because with the coronavirus it is transmittable even if you're not showing symptoms whereas in yeah. um the SARS outbreak you can only infect other people if you're already showing symptoms and that's kind of like what makes this um coronavirus slightly more alarming because you can be can seem healthy but you might be actually carrying it and it might affect people you come in contact with like more disastrously yeah and i think you know this is one of the things that most distinguishes the coronavirus and sars sars was you know when you get hit with sars and you get the symptoms it was very apparent Mm -hmm. i remember like a lot of people were having difficulty breathing you know i think there were people like coughing up blood it was a very quote-unquote dramatic Mm -hmm. event with sars here because the coronavirus itself is Overall, the symptoms are just like a common cold. It's not that obvious. And so, like you said, you know, people can be transmitting uh, from human to human, which has already been evident, very easily, and they don't realize it. And in fact, a lot of the reports are saying there might be more cases of people with coronavirus, but they're just healthier, so they don't suffer from the symptoms. Like Exhibit. It might not be, like, even though the confirmed cases are a lot more than SARS, the fatality rate is a lot lower than SARS. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a case of like really seeing the situation as where it is. Yeah, because SARS had the 9 to 10% fatality rate, which is pretty high. Mm-hmm. And um, it still really varies for the coronavirus, but estimates, according to WHO, 
is between one to three percent. Mm-hmm. And for reference, the common cold is like point one percent. Yeah. So I think one of the things that makes it a uh, bigger concern with the coronavirus is the fact that it happened in a city where it was basically a hub for a lot of people of different nationalities, different backgrounds. And then it was also happening during the time of the year in China, where it's Chinese New Year and people were traveling. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, what was potentially a smaller virus outbreak in a city that could have been contained exploded because it was in a... Because sort of like the socioeconomic circumstances around it helped it explode, uh, you know, literally spread all over the country. Like Wuhan, uh, the city that the outbreak came from, is also is not only a hub within China, but a lot of produce and a lot of commerce goes through it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are traveling through it. There's a lot of students from various countries, including Indonesia, that live in Wuhan. Right. Um, so it's just... Uh, I feel like it's a little bit of a, you know, one of those perfect storms where everything just started to escalate in a manner that just nobody had expected. Because it's only, you know, the first quote-unquote case of pneumonia that might be because of this happened uh, on December 31st. And China did not even verify that this is a new virus until early January. And we're like early February. It's only been a month. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, I think part of the whole reaction has also been partly because of China's own reaction towards the outbreak, which is like shutting down cities and then prohibiting travel and all of this kind of component, which is, I understand it's it's a good idea to take preventative measures to avoid a pandemic, but that certainly raised eyebrows and then consequently all of these various reactions from different countries make it Mm -hmm. you know like most of the doctors that i've talked to in the u.s or like friends of mine don't really think it's a huge deal like it's just like a particularly for them it's like oh it's a particularly bad flu because there are different strains of flu which are more fatal than others in general Mm -hmm. um yeah i think that's like a completely different sentiment than what's in the u.s because when i told my parents i'm you know i'm going back to indonesia in uh february um you know like they're like oh like you have to wear masks in on the flight you you know like they're very concerned about the whole situation and like you know the whole thing like side topic um public service announcement you know all of those masks that people are wearing like the yeah cloth masks they're not very effective are they no, they're not effective at all. If you want, you need to get a certified N95 mask, which is what exactly. medical professionals use to prevent transmission of airborne diseases because it's like an airborne disease. Um, that just traps the air in your mouth area. Yeah, <laughs> it's not really, it's not great. Um, if, the, if you think that's the only thing that's going to protect you, then you should get a better mask. Uh, not the kind of mask that you just wear every day in Indonesia because you don't want to smell the pollution. True, smog. Yeah. I mean, it's just practicing general good hygiene, right? Like yeah. Washing your hands, like, 
uh, staying healthy, being well rested, and when you cough or you sneeze, you don't direct it at other people. <laughs> you try to contain it, and if you're feeling sick in general, don't don't go out and don't like overexert yourself, right? Yeah. Um, I do I do think it's interesting to hear about your reactions in America as opposed to mine here in Indonesia. I I do think yeah, in many ways because I uh, my sister is a doctor in America and she's um, also says like this is you know there's not. One, there's not much you can do right now anyways. Like, you know, people are developing vaccines yeah. and everything. But it is a flu. It's a type of flu. Type of, like, uh, respiratory illness. Um, you got to just, like, equip yourself as much as you can. And then if you get it, you ride through it. You, you treat the symptoms. Uh-huh. But I think for people here, because in general, hygienic practices and hygienic standards are already low and compromised, that people... And people here are easily paranoid, right? Like, they've seen what SARS... Can do. They've seen the swine flu when it happened as well, and it's just who knows uh, what happens when you're interacting with people here, and there's just all kinds of germs going around. And so I think there's a certain sense of paranoia, and um, I think that has extended to the governments as well. You know, especially in the Southeast Asian region, where there's been a lot of evacuations, a lot of quarantining, a lot of travel bans. I can sympathize in a way because would you rather be excessive and make sure nothing happens or would you rather be lax and then when something happens then you're then you react? I don't know. It's- I guess like what's the like there's also like the worries of overreacting. I feel like a lot of this overreaction has led to kind of like anti-Chinese racism and discrimination. Oh, for sure, um, yeah. Towards like people of Chinese descent like throughout even in the US and like in Europe where you know like you know regular Asian people are like oh like being pointed at and like oh you're carrying the coronavirus it's like mm-hmm. I think that kind of overreaction breeds this kind of activity which isn't great um, and like yeah like the US isn't freaked out about it but like actually the Bay Area is, has the highest concentration where I'm at um, has the highest concentration of reported like coronaviruses in the US um, you're also like the first but, port of call yeah, for like, Asia <laughs> if you're in the US yeah, you, you like arrive in San Francisco <laughs> yeah like place. lots of flights have been cancelled in, in the Bay Area um, and Chinese people coming into the US will be screened and like detained for two weeks before um, being able to you know do what they're supposed to do which is kind of like a lot and like kind of like well i, I think the screening is important you know yeah you want to have some sort of border control over the people you're coming in yeah and i i think you know the the screening and the quarantining of those that have tested positive or have Potential symptoms, kinds of symptoms, is, is, I think, good and essential. I do think some of the travel bans are like, you're just going to ban, you know, wholeheartedly. Like, the Trump administration, right, yeah. is banning wholeheartedly um, people who are coming from China to enter the country. Um, the UK is the first country to advise its citizens to leave China, which has obviously angered a lot of people. They're, yeah. they're just like, well, easy for you to say, we, we can just pick up and leave. And it's also like that kind of fuels the, like you said, the paranoia, right? Uh-huh. And I kind of like, I, I want to be really skeptical though. And like I was talking about this to my friend earlier, like, okay, let's say the coronavirus originated in France or Germany. This would not be the US or Britain's reaction. Yeah. Like, 
Like, I feel like it also plays into a perception problem that, you know, they can, they consider China to be like unsanitary or whatever. And, and it's a lot mm-hmm. easier politically advantageous to like be like, oh, we're going to ban China, Chinese people, you know, like, yeah. And I feel like there's a certain lack of empathy there to like take this course of action that I don't think would have been taken if it was another Anglo-Saxon country, essentially. I think that's incredibly right. Like, uh, you know, a lot of people have been saying it's a bit of a power move, right? To say like you're not you people from your country are not allowed here. Yeah. And I think unless there is evidence, significant evidence supporting that that should be a course of action, even the WHO and a lot of organizations are saying complete bans are not a good idea because then people will just try to enter the country illegally. And if they have coronavirus, then you will you will, like will... and probably in a way that's like more exhausting and in a way that leads to like more dangerous situations exactly like if you can just have a proper system of screening health screening uh, and accountability of of who are the people coming in and what are their symptoms like then i think that's a much more rational and you know hopefully unbiased political perspective on it but we know that's not what a lot of these governments are thinking about they're always thinking about you know how to protect themselves first and then protect their citizens yeah that's not the way to address uh what could what is like a species issues right this is not this is supposed to be something that's impacting the whole global population and it's not just like oh let's protect our citizens first yeah i get it i i get that your first priority is as a government is to protect your citizens but can you can you do it in a way that does not become a us against them situation because that does not help solve the problem yeah we're not saying this just because we are personally also of chinese descent i mean i don't i don't think that's even a consideration in my mind yeah unless people are thinking it like that i think we just need to be more level-headed about the situation So speaking of, you know, reactions, right? Like, um, I think for our Indonesian listeners and people who are in Indonesia, there's a particular situation right now, right? Where the whole xenophobia thing is happening in front of us, which is um, the situation in Natuna Island right now, which is that um, over the weekend, this past weekend, February 1st, February 2nd, the government has flown back over 200 citizens of Indonesia from Wuhan. They've been evacuated. And they are currently going to be quarantined in an airbase, a military airbase, that's located in Natuna Island. The problem is, the residents of Natuna Island were not really consulted. And now they're demonstrating against the government because they're like, why did you bring these people here? We don't want to get infected. We don't want to go near them. Uh, You guys never told us about this. And so there's been a lot of tension around that issue. In particular, you know, tensions of xenophobia because they're scared you know 
the government is saying these are our people. You know, we were brothers and sisters under the Indonesian flag. But the local people are like, we don't want to get infected and die. Right. <laughs> and, and there's also like, you know, the people who are being brought there and being quarantined, they themselves are like, are we ever going to be reconciled into society? Because people are going to think, oh, we came from Wuhan. We're the virus carriers, even though we're fine. There's been a lot of um, flashpoints around this issue of like, how do you bring back those that have been evacuated and reintegrate them and like protect them as well, but also protect your, you know, the local people? And Indonesia is not the only country facing this issue. A lot of countries that are trying to quarantine but are facing resistance from their local residents have been trying to deal with this issue. Like, how do you do it in a way that respects everyone's concerns and fears, but also not foster xenophobia. Yeah. I mean, I understand the reaction of, like, the government, like, hey, these these are our people. <laughs> like, uh-huh. relax. Like, as long as they are being treated with the proper precautions, I don't understand why this is such a big deal. Typical of the government, though. They're always like, I guess we should have socialized this. Blumdi sociali sassy. We should have socialized this better to the local residents. And I'm like, yeah, no shit. That is true. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's, you know, to empathize with the local community, I think for a lot of them, there is not enough information, right? They don't know, like, oh, sometimes the first thing they've heard is like, oh, the plane has landed and now they're here. Right. And like, yeah, there's no... that's not cool. And I think for the government itself, they're probably also like, we don't want to spread too much information because that might just make people paranoid. But then no information also makes people paranoid. Yeah. So they're in a bit of a catch-22. I think what a lot of people don't know is that the people quarantined in Natuna are quarantined in a military airbase that is designed for like a huge capacity it's not actually like in the cities with the community it's close to the to the residential areas that is true but it's it's in a in a facility that's designed mm-hmm. for this um, so i think a lot of it is trying to sympathize with the various parties involved in this but also make sure the right kind of information is given out yeah and i think um one of the things I do want to highlight as well is that you should also think about the people being quarantined. Mm-hmm. A lot of the Indonesian citizens from Wuhan are students who are studying there. And they're, you know, they're young kids. Like, you know, they're they're all worried about themselves as well. And like, is there a future for me? Can I even go back to Wuhan to finish my studies? Um, if not, then like, what would I be stigmatized because of this whole issue? Yeah. That I might not even be, you know, I might not be infected by the coronavirus, but will I be stigmatized because I came from Wuhan? Like, how do you deal with the repercussions of that? Because we know how quickly hoaxes and fake news spreads in this country and all over the world, and how that can foster really bad behavior. And I just think we should all take a moment to think about the people who are being quarantined, being evacuated. How scared they must, they themselves must be. Yeah. And there's also been reports, right, like the people in Wuhan themselves, like we should also think about the residents of Wuhan who cannot escape. Yeah. It's, it's sad. And I, but, you know, I, I think like I read a report today from the WHO. They're saying like right now there is still a window of opportunity to react, to contain this. Uh, number one is just don't blow it out of proportion. Right. And then number two, do your du- due diligence about like your health and your health screenings, your safety standards. You know, some countries have been like, We'll screen people coming through our airports, but they're not even wearing face masks. <laughs> they're just like, they're just pointing the thermometer at someone. They're just walking through. So it's like, right. don't just do it because you feel like you need to. Like, do it properly so that you actually 
address the issue. Yeah. We're still in the thick of it. I don't think there's any end in sight yet. People are saying like vaccines won't be out till next year. Uh, and we're, you know, there's still reports of deaths of increasing cases in Wuhan and across China. So we don't know how this will escalate, but we just felt like this was a good moment for us to at least uh, talk about it, but also take a step back and talk about the wider influence of it in terms of like the community and social impact that obviously, you know, if you're thinking about the medical situation, you're not going to think about that. But I think we're, it's important mm-hmm. to to discuss all of that other aspects like we usually do at the Alogica. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find more information and resources of whatever we talked about on our website, delica.id. Music credits to John Dealey, Lee Rosevere, and of course, Broke for Free. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. And please share our podcast with your friends. It's the best way to spread the word about Dialogica. If you want to get more involved, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is dialogicapodcast at gmail.com or just shoot us a message on our Facebook page. You can also find us on Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, and our Twitter. Please follow us in these various platforms. Our Twitter handle is at dialogicapod. Also, follow me on Twitter. It's stephtank. That's S-T-E-P-H-T-A-N-G-K. Thank you again and see you guys next time.